City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. You are listening to the Buzzer Beaters Podcast on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. There's plenty of negativity surrounding the Charlotte Hornets these days, and rightfully so. But on today's episode, Eric and I will try to give you a glass half full and a glass half empty perspective on the 2023-2024 Charlotte Hornets. Without further ado, I am your host for today's episode, Atticus Ferguson. And I'm your co-host, Eric Barnes. Eric, it's it's been a while since you and I have been on here. The holidays get busy. I've had some trips. Uh, you know, I've been in and out of the country. Um, so it's it's good to catch up, man. How have you been? I've been good, man. Holidays, of course, are hectic, man. Making trips, traveling, family, buying gifts, you know, the whole nine. But now we're in the new year and ready to hit the ground running with all things that come with that, with this podcast with careers, you know, planning a wedding that's going to be in August. So, like, I mean, things are busy, man, but I'm excited. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, we've covered it before, but our guy Eric Barnes is a kept man. Isn't that the saying? A kept man? Is that it? Or I don't, I I'm that? really not sure. I haven't been keeping tabs <laughs> on all the lingo of, you know, married men and engaged, but that's true. I am. That's right. Well, I, I'm not sure if the Charlotte Hornets remembered to get you a winning season for a, uh, a wedding present. That, maybe maybe that's for next year. Maybe they thought the wedding was in 2025. Look, I know some people you see out there, they talk about positive regression, right? And sooner or later, I mean, we're going on two years now. The Hornets got to have some sort of positive regression on injuries. And, and not necessarily do I want to make this an injuries podcast, but, you know, next year may be the year, dude. It may just be the year. It's funny. We said that going into this season that it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> it, it had, we said it had to be better uh, with the injury luck. And it seems I don't have like the numbers. I don't have stats to back this up, but it seems like it's been worse than last year to this point through the amount of games they've played. And at the bare minimum, it is very comparable to last year. Um, so that means next year we're in business. The, the injuries are not going to be an issue, and I will find some wood to knock on, you know, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Next year, the Hornets, I'm not saying there will be no injuries. Sure, there will be injuries, but the Hornets will make it through the following season, not this season, obviously, but next year, the Hornets are going to have minimal injuries, and you know what? Maybe we'll see a play-in berth. I don't want to get too ambitious and say playoff berth, but play-in, I'm pretty hopeful that next year, one more year season for LaMelo and Brandon, that'll happen. Yeah, we've seen playing before. We've seen it back-to-back years. It's not impossible. But, yeah, it's uh, it's funny. I feel like in the, the, the 2047 All Hornets podcast, we'll be talking about, these injuries can just chill out, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, LeBron James is, like, fifth – or, I mean, okay, that, that got a little out of hand. I was going to say his, like, third grandson will lead the Hornets to a winning season. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it just it's it's yeah so fifth out of hand, third totally reasonable, totally yeah. reasonable <laughs> is third grandson. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, 
as as I was saying earlier, you know, obviously there's a ton of negativity that has surrounded the Hornets this season and the past couple seasons, and rightfully so. Uh, Eric, you and I know this about each other, and if people listen to the podcast they have for a while, they know that we're pretty optimistic individuals. We try to look at things from a positive lens, uh, but still try to be somewhat objective at the same time and not be total fanboys and just act like everything's sunshine and rainbows. So today we're going to try to you know balance that out a little bit and give you a kind of a glass half full, glass half empty approach. Basically, we're just going to kind of run down some some different things where it's you know glass half full, maybe touch on some positives, some things we've liked, uh, some things that maybe give us some promise for the future, uh, and then glass half empty, uh, which I, you know, if you're listening at home, I'm sure you can imagine some of the various things that may come up, but we'll try to give a little bit of a spin on it, give our take, um, and, and let you guys know what we think. So, Eric, I, I'll leave this up to you. Do you want to start, you know, me personally, I'm more of a start with, give me the bad news first, and then give me the good news. Do you want to start half empty or half full? What, what type of vibe do we want to kick this off with? See, it's funny because I'm the reverse. I like to start with the positives first because, you know, that first impression is lasting, right? So mm-hmm. I kind of prefer to go maybe some of the pros first and we'll save all the negativity for a little bit later on um, because, of course, there is a good bit of it to be discussed and we will get to it. But me personally, in situations like this, I always prefer pros first. Okay. All right. So I'm thinking we'll go – one half full, one half empty, kind of ping pong back and forth like that. Let's let's get started with the half full here. So I'll list off my first half full topic I want to discuss. And Eric, I, I have a feeling you're going to like this one. Nick Smith Jr. This is a guy at the beginning of the season we were banging the table for, begging for him to get more playing time, especially in the, the days of Teo Maladon starting. Teo Maladon, a guy who now is not even associated with the organization anymore. Nick Smith Jr., man, I mean, just a couple quick hits, and I want to let you run with this a little bit. But, I mean, he's we've seen it since the summer league. I mean, he's kind of like a microwave scorer. He can get hot. He can get going. He's fearless. You know, he he's one of the few guys that you see consistently out there for the Hornets, especially when you're looking at some of the younger guys. And I'm not saying all of them don't do this, but he consistently brings you a lot of energy and intensity and just effort, right? Like, you're never going to go out there and see Nick Smith Jr., uh, you know, not try to take advantage of his minutes. Uh, so I, I really appreciate what he brings as far as just some enthusiasm on the courts, uh, a lot of energy, some scoring. And just at a, at a time, you know, we were just talking off air, at a time where the Hornets don't have a lot of excitement um, prior to the return of LaMelo Ball, which if you're tuning in now, not to get sidetracked real quick, but we did right before we jumped on here, get the news from Shams and Rod Boone that LaMelo is expected to be back Friday. Uh, you'll be listening to this on Saturday. We're recording on Thursday. Um, so obviously that'll add some excitement when the mellow returns, whether that's Friday or, or the game after that. But, you know, Nick Smith has provided a lot of excitement uh, in an otherwise pretty dull Hornets viewing experience. So I've really appreciated that. He's really given me something to look forward to watching every night. Eric, what, what have been some of your takeaways with Nick Smith Jr. this season and, and more particularly, you know, here lately? Yeah, man, I'm I'm excited to continue to see him continue to play well because for those that have been listening, the loyal listeners out there, you know, about a month ago, I said, you know, Nick Smith is a definitive hit. And the good news is after I said that, I didn't jinx him, man, because he's just continued to ball out. I think I said that after maybe his first pop-off game. I think he hit like four or five threes. Maybe it was against the Nets is when I said that. And he hasn't slowed down at all. And you kind of just keep waiting for – you know, some sort of regression, but 
I mean, the dude is shooting over 50% from three on the season, and he's continuing to get more opportunities, which I know me and you would have liked to see going back to, you know, November, early November, and maybe even October with those Teo minutes. Um, but, yeah, it's just great to see. If you think about the asset pecking order of the Charlotte Hornets um, and you think about the guards, of course you have LaMelo. Uh, we'll leave him out of this. He's obviously the top guy. But And then Terry is kind of the vet and, and whatever, right? But if you start looking at the younger players – Guys like McGowan's, and, and I do like McGowan's, Nick Smith Jr., Book Knight, right? Those three guys, we had just started the new year. He's played NBA basketball for two, three months now. And I think as far as the pecking order of assets for the Hornets, he's already at the top of that list between those guys. He's already surpassed Book Knight. I like a lot about McGowan's game, but I think as far as for, for this conversation, just the asset – you know, conversation. I would say Nick Smith has already surpassed Bryce McGowan's in that. He's already proved to be a better shooter. I think he has a tighter handle. Yeah, Bryce is a little bit bigger, uh, but Nick Smith just looks like he belongs out there on the court. And me and you have talked about this several times at this point, going back to his pedigree as a high school recruit. I mean, he was a top three high school recruit, depending on which site you look at. Some had him at number one, those pre-drafts had him in the top five, some as high as two after Wimby, um, you know, a year before the draft. And he had a funny freshman season. You know, we covered all this. But it's just great to see all that potential being shown on the floor. It's not just a shot making. He's he's made some nice passes here or there. I'm not saying he's a primary point guard at this stage. But the defense, at the minimum, he gives effort on defense. You know, with the tools he's got, he's doing all he can. So continuing to watch him play, he's obviously been a huge – uh, bright spot and otherwise Hornets season that's obviously left something to be desired yeah I, I like that word you use pedigree I was actually trying to think of that word and I couldn't get it uh, off the tip of my tongue while you were going there so I'm, I'm glad you kind of got me there um, and you're exactly right uh, I do think there is a little bit of an extra level of excitement if you are someone who keeps up with the recruiting and, and kind of knew of him coming up um, through the you know the high school ranks and, and in college basketball a little bit, you, you do realize obviously he was projected, you know, to be such a talent, and you know the fact that you're starting to see him flash some of those things. There's already some of that, yeah, I guess, for lack of a better term, you're getting a little bit of that confirmation bias, right? Um, so it, it does naturally it does excite you a little bit more to see Nick Smith Jr. doing some things more than it would like a Bryce McGowan's. Um, because you know that he's quote unquote supposed to be, um, you know, this high level guy. And, and for years and years, you know, we were told that he was going to be this really great player at some point, at some level. Um, so I think that pedigree does add a little bit of an extra layer of excitement because it's like, Hey, he's starting to kind of slowly fulfill the promise that, you know, we were given as fans uh, and people who keep up with the game. So it, it really is exciting to watch him he has really been one of the bright spots in, in this somewhat of a lost season so far. Like you, I mean, like we've kind of touched on, you're right. You know, he's not the greatest defender yet, but he is giving effort, whether it's, you know, on offense, on defense, he plays a lot of energy. He, he's not wasting away his minutes. Like some other people that um, personally, I have some notes to kind of touch on later uh, on the negative side. And I won't get into that right now, but um, yeah, man, he's, he's been, he, I mean, He's been one of the few reasons to smile and, uh, you know, say something positive about the Charlotte Hornets so far. Yeah, man, Nick's been awesome. Um, for me, a positive kind of moving on here, 
and, and this is obvious, like at some point LaMelo was coming back. It just so happened we got the news probably about 20 minutes before we started recording here that LaMelo, it seems like he'll be making his debut against the Spurs Friday. Um, so by the time you guys are listening to this, that game will already happen, of course. But just seeing him back and not really just seeing him back, the fact that he can come back and play with guys like Brandon Miller and Nick Smith Jr., who are kind of the core of this group moving forward, or at least part of the core, not necessarily the core. Uh, you can put Brandon Miller in that, the core. Uh, Nick Smith is still kind of earning his stripes a little bit. But being able to see LaMelo get reps with these guys, I think, is important in them continuing to get familiar with one another out on the court. When you start thinking about long-term, you know, if the Hornets sort of turn it around, you know, these guys need to get reps together. They need to get used to each other and kind of figure out, you know, how they can mesh their games together very well. Because ultimately, that's going to be really important if, if the Hornets ever do turn this thing around. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I kind of have something to touch on what you were uh, beginning to get into there later. Um, but you're, you're exactly right. I mean, these guys aren't being put in the best position to develop uh, you know, whether that's just as individuals or just develop good habits or, or develop winning habits. You know, people always say winning is a talent and it's hard to do that when you're, when you're without your best player, not only your best player, but a guy who's really the engine to your offense. And uh, I mean, Terry's really the leader of the team vocally, but Lamelo's the on the court leader just as far as, you know, he can kind of put you on your back and carry the team a little bit and, and get everybody involved and get everybody going and put them in the best position to, score and do things that they do well on the court so having him back will be huge for everybody the young guys the vets you know everyone across the board but also kind of like what we were saying earlier and and what you and i were just saying offline here they'll they'll be more enjoyable to watch even if they don't win a significant amount of games immediately upon his return they should be much more enjoyable to watch and you know a lot of the times we're seeing the hornets go out there and they kind of compete early. They hang on for a quarter, a half. Sometimes you get three quarters, and they usually start to fizzle out in the fourth or early in the second half. Hopefully they can at least hang on and stay in games much more consistently now uh, and, and then grab some wins. There's been a few times where they hang on the whole game. You know, Chicago they brought to overtime. Um, hopefully some of those games they end up winning instead of having a close loss. Some of the games they fizzle out in the fourth quarter now, maybe they stay into it late into the game. Maybe they win those, maybe they don't, but at least – you're tuning in for four quarters and having hope, right? And you're not expecting them to fizzle out every night. So hopefully we, you know, we as the fan, as the fans can can get a lot more of that with his return. Uh, but you know, one thing for sure is they're going to be a lot more enjoyable to watch because because Lamelo's just you know he plays with that joy. He makes everyone better. So can cannot express my excitement enough uh, for Lamelo's return. Yeah, no doubt. And, and the circle is back to Brandon Miller really quick. And I've kind of touched on this in, in the last episode that I did with Ben. Um, with Brandon Miller, I, I've been the biggest Brandon Miller fan since pre-draft, right? But his game, especially at this stage, he is not built to give me the ball and I'm going to go get a, get you a shot every single possession if I need to. That's not his game. So really LaMelo coming back is going to help him big time. So LaMelo can set him up to get to his spots, not Brandon gets the ball and has to make something happen. Because as much as I like Brandon's game, that's just not – who he is right now. Now, hopefully one day he grows into that. But as a rookie, that was one of the big draws of bringing Brandon here was his fit with LaMelo is because for everything, for where Brandon's lacking, 
that's kind of where LaMelo shines is, you know, shot creation and getting people open and, and different things like that. So excited to see those two guys get onto the court together and hopefully play extensive minutes together, fingers crossed, and hopefully we don't have any injuries or sickness or whatever it may be that seems to continue to plague the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, not to go glass half empty on your glass half full here, but it is funny that <laughs> for the past few years as Hornets fans, it seems like one of the highlights of every season is when LaMelo returns from injury. It's like whenever you get that Shams or Woj or Rod Boone notification that LaMelo is expected to return from injury, it's like that's one of the best parts of the season. <laughs> so that kind of reflects where we've been at as Hornets fans, where it's like, man, that's that's what we get excited for every year. It's like, oh, when's LaMelo going to be back? And then when we get yeah. notification, it's like, oh, my God, here we go. Okay, we have something to be excited about. It's like that's that's an unfortunate reality. Uh, of where we are as a fan base right now. Well, and and he's sooner or later he's going to have to shed that right because if that's going to continue to be the case moving forward, if if he really is an injury prone player, the Hornets aren't going to find success. You take the best player off any team in the NBA, they're not going to be the same. Now maybe they won't be quite as bad as what the Hornets have been, but no one is going to look the same without their best player. And then you factor in missing two, three, four plus other players. Even the best team in the league, you take Joker, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon off the Nuggets, what type of team are they? Are they even in the playoffs? Probably not. So it's one of those things that it's tough because, you know, you, we kind of continue to make this excuse for the Hornets. But it's true. If your guys aren't healthy, you don't really know what you have. And that's just where the Hornets are right now. Absolutely. And, and this is more of a – topic to go into at a later date but it, you know it's just funny because i'm usually someone who is very very eager to move off guys who are injury prone or who are you know quasi pseudo injury prone uh and lamello is definitely he's either earned that label or, or he's he's walking the line um so it's it, i'm in a weird spot where it's like yes he's only 22 things could turn around he could shed that or this could be something that happens forever. And like objectively, if this wasn't someone on my favorite team, I would probably be saying, hey, move off of him. He gets injured and, you know, just sell high before it continues to be a thing. But that's a topic for another date. I don't want to die. <laughs> that's something I've been stewing on. Yeah, we could probably go hours alone on that topic. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, we'll, we'll save you guys today. We'll, we'll save that one for a rainy day. Absolutely. All right, let's, let's transition into a quick half-empty here. I don't think this one needs to be touched on for too long, but I, I do think it's worth bringing up. I kind of alluded to it earlier. Some of you probably caught it. James Booknight, you know, he's he's getting his, what feels like his 15th chance right now. It's over. It's over. Yeah. As, as, the, as the injuries were piling up, I was kind of sitting there in my head like, you know, you may as well throw Bookdown out there. You know, he's he's shown the ability in the past to get hot. You know, what's the, what's the worst that can happen? Throw him out there if he gets hot, cool. If not, throw him back on the bench like he's been. You know, he's been sitting on the bench anyway, so can't hurt you. And, and not only has he just not been playing well, but it's like it's it's the opposite of Nick Smith Jr. It's like he doesn't seem to give an extra level of intensity. You would think he would be like, man, this. I mean, this could be Bookdown's last chance in the NBA. Period. Not just with the Hornets. I mean, there, there's no convincing me he's back with the Hornets. This is his. I mean, Kai Jones hasn't signed anywhere yet, has he? So he's a rapper now. I mean, that, that could be next for a book. So, I mean, yeah. I, I get it, but but continue. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like this is your audition tape for the other teams in the league, man. And it's like you would think he would be giving his all and just busting his tail out there. And, and it, it doesn't seem like he's given that extra effort. He's not playing well as is. It, it's it's an odd thing, man. I, I don't – it probably just kind of leads to like a general attitude problem or something like that that's gotten him to this point to begin with. But you would really think that he would he would just be giving more effort out there. It's It's puzzling, man. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of just going in circles here. He, he's not trying to make the most of this opportunity. It doesn't seem. Um, and, and once guys get healthy, if guys can stay healthy, he's going to find himself right back on the bench. Yeah, and he, he won't see the hardwood once everyone is healthy. And he's struggling to see it with everyone injured. And I think that's one of the biggest indictments on him. I mentioned this on the last episode with Ben, our book night. I was a big book night fan coming out of the draft, uh, pre-draft that year too. Um, and I said this on the last one. Some of that was YouTube scouting, right? I wasn't watching full games. You see his highlights. You're like, wow, this guy's got a lot of talent. And that is why he was considered, you know, a top 10 guy. Some had him going as high as six in, in that draft. Um, but since he's gotten here, it just looks like he plays in third gear. And, and there are guys that, okay, they're playing at their own pace, but – with book night, it's like he's just reading things slow. Like everything is like th- there's just no urgency to his game. Like it's almost the exact opposite of Nick Smith. Whereas Nick Smith, like everything's urgent, high energy. You can tell he's really trying. Book, it's like you know I'm gonna get the ball. I may hold it a second. And the plan, like just watching him play and his movements, you're just like, what's the plan? It, it doesn't really seem like he has one a lot. And some of that. As I've always said, he just looks like he's playing in third year. And if he was never going to get out of that, and I said this is rookie year too, he's never really going to improve much. And to this point, he just – he has. Yeah, it's it's funny. You and I both here have made the Nick Smith Jr. comparison. It's like, let's say the team got fully healthy, which is unimaginable and probably won't happen. But just, just for the sake of this hypothetical, let's say the team got fully healthy. I don't know if Nick Smith Jr. is playing every night, but – you're sitting there. It's like, man, it's hard. It's hard to to not find that guy minutes at least occasionally, right? Like a guy like that needs to find some minutes here and there in spots, even if it's not every night. James Booknight. It's like, <laughs> I mean, you're. What does he do? What does he do? He's yeah. supposed to be an offensive player. His efficiency hasn't been great. Defense, obviously not. You know, so it's just. How does he help you? He's supposed to be this coming in. He's supposed to be a big-time scorer. He hasn't really shown that yet. We've seen flashes here or there, but Tyler Hansborough had flashes when he went to the NBA, and how did his career go, you know? So, like – and that's ultimately what being great in the NBA is. Anybody can have a big night. It's about consistently having big nights, you know? And obviously with Book, it just seems like, at least with Charlotte, it's over. Yep. Uh, I I really don't know what his NBA future holds. Um, I mean, he's played in the G League a lot for the Swarm. I mean, he's put up big numbers there. I don't really watch the Swarm games, but, I, you know, when he's down there in the, or when he's been down there in the past, like I've seen him put up a lot of big numbers, have a lot of nice plays, show those flashes. But it's like, is another team going to pick him up, stash him in the G League? It's like maybe, maybe someone else, you know, buys low on a still relatively young player who's really talented. But it's like – it. it this would be my last point on this, but it's like it's kind of like what's the point, right? If you stash him in the G League, he's proven that he can play really well in the G League and then not translate it to the NBA. 
maybe another organization thinks if they get him into their developmental program, things will be different. Like I wouldn't be shocked if another team gives him a chance. I also wouldn't be shocked if he isn't in the NBA again and plays overseas somewhere. I think he could be a really good overseas player. Um, but Time to learn Chinese, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's just not – as someone who was drafted in the lottery uh, and was viewed by the general manager, Mitch Kupchak, who took him as a steal at that point in the lottery, you know, uh, for us to be sitting here at the end of his contract and saying we would not be shocked if he's not in the league next year is uh, obviously a pretty tough break. But, yeah, I mean, uh, other than that, I mean, I think we've kind of touched on everything there is to be said about Book Knight. Obviously a pretty big disappointment. I was hoping he would come in and show some flashes and – you know, the book night last dance would have a, a you know final chapter that was much more positive than it has been so far. All right, half full. My next thing I want to touch on is Miles Bridges, but more specifically, Miles Bridges had an Instagram story that he posted. I believe it was five games ago at the, at the time of recording. He said, my bad, Buzz City, I got to be better. Ever since then, the guy's just been better. I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know what, you know, epiphany, you know, what sort of aha moment he had since making that Instagram post, but I mean, but the dude's been balling. The dude's been looking like Miles Bridges that we saw when he first came back from a suspension this year. Uh, one more thing I do want to touch on with Miles Bridges, and I am, I'm not a superstitious person. I, but my friends who are have uh, accused me of being someone who jinxes things, maybe <laughs> deservedly so, maybe not. I'm like scared to say this, not because I'm superstitious, but because people are going to accuse me of being a jinx if, if this reverses the course. Right. Miles Bridges, I feel like I need to whisper this. Miles, Miles Bridges stays healthy. Miles Bridges does. doesn't get hurt. That dude does not no. get hurt ever. He's a tank, I, dude. I, I'm so scared that I just put that out there. We may have – if worst case scenario, if this releases Saturday and in Friday's game, Miles Bridges gets hurt, we may have to just not put the podcast out. <laughs> we may be the only people who ever hear this conversation. And like if my roommates in the kitchen and overhears it. Like th- this can't get out if that happens. But I mean, the guy stays healthy, man. The guy stays healthy, and and he's been someone who gives. You know, Clifford even um, last night was was giving him and Terry props. Like you know, those are guys who always come out and give a lot of intensity and give a lot of effort. Uh, and you mentioned Brandon Miller and, and, you know, obviously, you know, Nick Smith, he probably just forgot to mention because he, he always does as well, but he's someone who's going to go out there and give you a lot of effort, uh, and not play in third gear. Like you were just accusing, uh, our, our guy book night of, but yeah, Miles Bridges, what are, what are your quick thoughts on that? Yeah. It's funny because last pod with Ben, you know, we we're talking about Bridges and that was before he kind of went on this nice little streak he had. And I was like, who is going to pay him like, Outside of the Hornets, and the Hornets maybe could in the offseason, but who is in free agency with this new CBA? Is like, you know what? Miles Bridges, come on down. Here's $30 million, even $25 million. Like, if you do that, you're saying he's your second at worst third best player. And who in the league right now is going to say, you know what, Miles Bridges, you know, that's who you are. Like, you're going to be our guy. Come on in. Ever since I've said that, he's absolutely been bawling out of his mind. Now, what's going to hurt him in free agency is after all the dust settles, people are like, yeah, sure, but Hornets, you know, not very good. Now, things can change, man. Well, like I mentioned earlier, it's all about consistency in the NBA. Anybody can have good nights, but Bridges started to stack a lot of these games. So while the Hornets may not be playing for a ton down the stretch, 
the future for the future of the this team with the Hornets is very important these last few seasons because this is the last runway with these new owners thinking, okay, who do we want to bring back? You know, this is really just kind of a a litmus test, if you will, of whether it's Bridges or any of the young guys that we've discussed. Like it it it's a really important stretch for the Hornets down the season, even though it may not seem like it, whether it's them playing together and getting more familiar and showing that they with LaMelo with the head of the snake back, you know, they're ready to go. Um, and, and that the pieces fit, but with Bridges specifically, man, ever, like you said, ever since that post, he he's left it all out on the floor. You know, there's some things he can't control with the quality of teammates, you know, with the injuries that he's playing with, like it's hard to will your team to victory. Right. And they, especially in the NBA, but you know, shout out to Bridges. He's been playing. He's been playing out of his mind. And like we said a month ago, when we had that pot about Bridges, it continues to just back and forth. Like, what are the Hornets going to do with this situation? Now, a lot of that does end up being, you know, how much is the money? I think twenty and under, absolutely. Once you start getting in that twenty-five plus range, then it becomes a little bit more of a conversation of what they're going to do. But yeah, shout out to Bridges, man. He's looked awesome, and I hope he continues it. You know, for for him and whether that's in Charlotte or, or not in the future, um, you know, I'd love to see guys do well. Yeah. And I, I think you hit it mostly there. I mean, I have some more thoughts that again, we could probably share once we get closer to the off season or in the off season about bridges. But I mean, I could see a team like the Pistons throwing him more money than the Hornets are willing to, because they've been linked to him for a while. He's from Detroit and, uh, you know, they are kind of desperate for some star power and just some, I shouldn't say star power, but some firepower there to surround Kate Cunningham with. But um, I, I got some more theories on that. But just, you know, as as we're speaking in the present, it, he, he's been a he's been a positive sign as well. And obviously his connection with LaMelo is undeniable on and off the court. And with LaMelo returning here soon, uh, as soon as, you know, the day before you're listening to this podcast, the day after we're recording it, um, I mean, that, that should help assist and, and aid in LaMelo's return uh, and, and then make LaMelo's life easier when he's undeniably shaking off a, a little bit of rust when he comes back. So, yeah, happy for Miles. Good to see him playing well, getting back into his groove. And, uh, you know, hopefully that, that continues. He came in hot, struggled a while, getting hot again. Hopefully it's not kind of an up-and-down thing. Hopefully he can kind of find his stride and be more consistent now that he's getting his NBA legs back under him. All right, half empty. Uh, and I think you've got another one. So after this one, I'll next half empty. I'll bounce it to you, Eric. But PJ Washington, this is something I'm really interested to get your thoughts on. Uh, I want to lay out what I have to say real quick because I, I have a feeling you'll agree with me mostly. Um, but but let me let me know if you differ. I'm curious to see what you have to say. PJ, I mean he's he's kind of the same old PJ. I mean. I, I wouldn't say that we didn't expect this. Every every time we go into a new season, I'm always expecting, or not maybe expecting, but I'm always hopeful that PJ will take a leap, uh, at least offensively. And he, he never really does, right? He's always been a very streaky scorer. Uh, he's shown the ability to score at a high level for games or even like a few games in a row. Uh, but he's just such a streaky scorer. He is obviously very valuable to this team and what he brings as far as versatility on defensive end, spacing on offense, and and obviously the nights where he's cooking, he, you know, he really adds a really fun, uh, crucial layer to this team. But I mean, he's just kind of the same old PJ. He's the he's the streaky shooter. His game on offense hasn't 
seem to evolve much. Like he, it's not like he's streaky, but he's added this new wrinkle to his game. Like it, it's just, it's kind of just always. Um, it's almost like Apple when they release a new iPhone. It's like, yeah, everything's the same. We changed the camera a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of just the same phone, and like the iOS is right. just kind of crapping the bed of my old phone, so I have to get a new one. There, that's kind of a little cow- Colin Cowherd analogy for you there. <laughs> yeah, PJ is. PJ is just PJ. I think we talked about this preseason. Like, this might just be who he is, and it seems like this is just who he is. Now, the flip side of this is it sucks. Everything just seems to go back to injuries, right, which is annoying, but it's true. PJ as your fourth or fifth best starter I think is solid. PJ as your seventh guy or sixth, seventh, eighth guy, you know, first, second, third guy off the bench I think is – really good and i think that's why around the trade deadline every year you hear about teams being interested you've heard about the heat in the past today i saw something about the Cavs are interested because he does provide legitimate nba skill sets and he's you know for the most part a, a cerebral player plays the right way but when you're asking him to be your third or fourth best guy on your team like that's just not who he is and i think that's why you see teams around the league have interest in him but then you also hear Hornets fans or just people out there that follow the Hornets just kind of run hot and cold on him because he's just not a star. Like he's a nice player, but because, he's because not a he star. Runs hot and cold. <laughs> What'd you say? I said because he runs hot and cold. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So with PJ with his contract, I'm very, you know, I'm happy the Hornets have him on that contract. But yeah, he's just a, a role player, really, is what he is. And he is asked to do a lot of things, but um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, the course of the next few years if they end up moving him in a deal. But a lot of this is really all pending with these new owners. I think everyone's anticipating they're kind of kind of clean house with the head coach and the front office. So a lot of these big decisions that we're talking about, we're not really going to have any idea until new leadership gets in because I think it's inevitable at this point, barring an insane hot streak the Hornets go on, which I, for various reasons, I don't project to happen. But the NBA is so good now, like, it's it's going to be really tough for them to really put themselves in contention at all. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't get it twisted. PJ's a nice player. Like, you know, I'm not trying to to, to the crap on the guy. He's a nice player, but, yeah, it's – PJ seems like the type of guy where if he's a starter – on like a low end playoff team, that's all right. PJ really seems like he's a really nice role player on a legitimate contender, and that's yeah. The this, the contract the Hornets signed him to is very reasonable. You know, I don't think he got the short end of the stick, but it was a relatively team friendly deal at the same time, um, which is good for the Hornets uh, if they're planning to keep him. But it's also very good because he's a very tradable asset. Um, you know, teams won't, you know, contenders are going to want to look at him or are going to look at him, I think, uh, and really value what he can bring to the table, especially in a, a less significant role than he's playing on the Hornets. He's not going to be asked to do as much on the contender if he goes to one. Uh, and that contract isn't going to really freak you out uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and make you hesitant towards him. So I'm very interested to see what happens. I, I think you know people talk about Terry and Gordon and guys like that, the trade deadline. I think PJ is um, by far the guy I would have my eyes on the most to be moved at the deadline here. But um, well, speaking yeah. of the deadline, um, that kind of rolls right into one of my, you know, the sky is falling, the glass is half empty. 
I don't think any deals are going to happen. And I think this is more for glass half empty for Hornets fans because I know obviously a lot of Hornets fans, obviously it's just fun when a trade happens, right? You get the notification, you're like, whoa, this is exciting. Um, but with Gordon Hayward, like what are, are the Hornets really going to get in return for him? He's an expiring contract, but the salaries have to be matched. I guess a pick maybe. Um, I think he's the most likely to be dealt. But Terry Rozier, I think if you're going to move him, I think it makes more sense to move him in the offseason when more teams are willing to move better pieces around. Um, and, and you never know, a, a good deal could pop up for some of these guys. Um, and, and at that point, you make a deal. But I just don't really see contending teams being like, yeah, let's give up legitimate capital to go get Terry Rozier because he's going to be the difference in us winning a championship or not. Can he play a contributing role on a championship contender? Absolutely. But is he the type of guy that teams are going to say, hey, we need to trade these, you know, really solid, promising young players or whoever it may be, or like be a package for Siakam or someone like that? Like, no, I don't see that happening. And people cheer for a trade, but then if the return's bad, then they're going to be mad that a trade happens. And ultimately, I think that's why a trade doesn't happen is I, I just don't see the deals that are going to where the Hornets are going to say, wow, you know what, us trading Terry Rozier or Hayward or maybe even some like Bridges, This what we're getting in return, we just couldn't say no. I, I don't think that's going to happen. So I think the Hornets are going to continue to be patient and let this stuff play out and kind of reassess in the offseason. And also factor in what we were just talking about, I think you're going to get all new leadership when this offseason comes. So why would you have the old guard making decisions for the future when you could just continue to be patient and – unless you're getting something crazy for Gordon Hayward, you just let his expire and then you have a lot more flexibility to do, you know, various different things. So glass half empty. This one's for Hornets fans. Although I think I just spend it into a positive a little bit. I don't think there's really any deals, major deals going to be happening at the deadline. Well, you, you put it perfectly. It's, it's glass half empty for a lot of Hornets fans who are, and it's natural to be eager for the team to do something. It's exciting when your team does something at the deadline. And when you're seeing all these other big deals happen at the deadline and, you know, the Hornets traditionally don't do anything big or anything at all at the deadline, it, it kind of gets frustrating seeing that happen year after year. Uh, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, yeah, sometimes it is, it's, it's, human, uh, it's human nature to get a little frustrated to see them sit pat while other teams are making big moves and big splashes and their fan bases are getting excited for – uh, some newness there, but I've, I've, I've been kind of beating this drum as well. I don't, I don't expect anything to happen. And if something does happen, I lean towards it being small potatoes. Right. Uh, like I just said, if there's anything big that happens, I actually think it would be PJ being moved rather than Gordon or Terry. I think PJ's the, the most likely big fish to get moved um, on the Hornets roster. But yeah, I mean, it's just, we've seen that it's not cup checks, you know, it's not in his nature uh, to make big moves. Well, it's not in his nature, but I, I think it kind of a counterpoint to that because, you know, you see a lot of people going after Mitch out there. And I get it. Like, the Hornets haven't been good. You know, they haven't hurt. They haven't been good. But, like, going back to what can you get in return, if you could get great return, then I'm dealing these guys, right? But I just yeah. – in theory, it's great to say, yeah, we're going to get something amazing back, but, like, what are you really going to get? And if what you get is, you know, a couple late round, first round picks and some more role players, what did that really do for you? Nothing. So, like, 
I don't know. It, it's one of those things. Trades is is interesting to discuss because there's so many variables that go into it, and you got to have two parties to tango. You know, so it's tough. But I mean, PJ has. I do get your point. He he hasn't been too great, um, but it, it's kind of just is what it is. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I was saying, it's it's not in Mitch's nature, and that's for better or for worse, right? And you, right. I mean, like you said, you know, you don't want to just make a trade and get ten cents on a dollar just to say you made a trade and and you know check off a box for the fan base or because you feel obligated to do it because all these other moves are happening from the other teams in the league. Um, but you know, outside of that, I I also don't expect it because. You know, while there is new ownership and we don't know what their tendencies and what their feelings are and what they'll want to do every year at the deadline, I don't think – let's say we have a crystal ball that says they're going to be, you know, really active at the deadline moving forward. I don't think this is the year that they're going to do it. They have a GM who um, is one foot one foot in, one foot out, um, maybe not by his own doing – or not by his own decision, but, you know, most of us don't expect Mitch to be back, at least as the general manager next year. So I don't think they're going to be pushing a general manager who isn't in the long-term plans, at least in that role, uh, to be making any significant moves. Uh, I also don't think – obviously, with the, the, the season the Hornets are having, you would think that they're going to want to sell. I just don't think that there's many assets that they'll look to sell and get a huge return on. So I, I, I don't really expect it. I know this isn't really a half-empty take for us, and obviously we're saying for a lot of the fan base it will be, but I think you and I are kind of in agreement here that if they kind of sit pat and, and stand firm at the deadline, it's it's what we've come to expect, and it's not the end of the world. And, and you're exactly right that you know there are a lot of instances where in the off season you can get a lot more for a player, whereas during the season, yes, if you if you trade a guy like Terry at the deadline, obviously that's another half year on his contract that you're getting. But oftentimes these deals are rushed at the same time and there's more urgency. Sometimes that means you can squeeze out more from people. Sometimes they, yeah. they, that means they squeeze out more from you in the sense that you get less of a return on the asset that you're giving up. Well, um, so that can as, work great as, as great as Terry is, I, I think an issue with why you wouldn't get a great return is he is the least desirable archetype in the NBA right now. Like combo guards, I mean, he is an incredible basketball player. I'm not taking that away from him. But combo guards, like they're just not super valuable in the NBA. What does everyone want? Everyone wants two-way wings or like super skilled bigs. Like combo guards, a lot of teams have guys that can score already, and that's Terry's calling card. So if you bring Terry in for for Terry to maximize who he is, he's going to have pretty high usage. And also – it makes sense that he does this because he is such an efficient scorer, but the ball kind of sticks with Terry. Like he'll be on a fast break and he's going up and I will give him his props. It makes sense for him to go up because he makes a lot of very tough contested layups at a high clip. But, you know, a lot of teams are looking more for a ball movement type of player, not a guy that comes in and, you know, he's kind of the go-to scorer. Like most teams aren't looking for that at the deadline. I, I don't totally disagree. I will push back a little bit. I think I think Terry would be a really valuable piece to a contender right. as like a six man, as someone to come right. in and lead the second unit and be an explosive scorer. What I think is more of a deterrent for you know, making a deal for a guy like Terry at the deadline for a contender is the fact that you're not getting him for a, a half season rental. I think teams like that, you know, like a, a Clippers or Lakers or something like that, that would maybe be interested, would rather pick them up on a half-year rental 
so they don't have any long-term obligation and long-term money tied into him and then try to restructure with uh, something with him in the right. offseason or just find someone to replace him for cheaper. So I do think he would be really valuable to a contender. I do think a lot of contenders would love to have him. I just don't think they want to have his contract. Right. I get what you're saying about a lot of, you know, the, his archetype not being desirable, but I do think a lot of contenders right. would absolutely love to have Terry for a half season. They don't want to be tied to that contract. Right. And, and no, I agree. It, that's why when you get to talking trades and what teams will do and won't do, it gets a little, a little complicated and very nuanced because Terry could absolutely help. It's just, what are those type of teams willing to give up? Like, I feel like some, some of those teams would rather go after, say, like a Jordan Clark uh, or Jordan Clarkson, uh, who probably isn't as expensive, and they can probably get, compared to Terry Rozier, pennies on the dollar. Um, nice. and, and I just think that's why they'll probably stand pat. But moving forward here, another glass half empty I've got is Mark Williams. And it's not just the obvious injury, right? Obviously, that's tough, you know, the back injury. It's – He's not getting these reps. We talked about LaMelo coming back, continuing to get reps with kind of the core of the Hornets, right? But on top of that, Mark needs to continue not only get reps, but he needs to put on weight. And he's not – he's obviously not playing. He's not getting the reps. And with it being a back injury, he obviously probably can't do much in the weight room and different things like that. So I was thinking about this last night, like – Hopefully this back injury gets figured out soon because if this is an extended thing, this is something that could continue to stunt his growth. Um, and obviously the Hornets are in a position. We need some of these young guys to take, you know, some sort of step if they're going to be competing for playoffs anytime soon. This is a good little teaser here because you're kind of going into my last little half empty. I want to take a quick break before I combine this too, because I want to, Talk about allhornets.com. Give give everybody a little teaser before we dive into this one, right? This podcast is brought to you by allhornets.com, a credentialed Charlotte Hornets outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. Allhornets.com's aim is to bring you 360-degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets. From breaking news, rumors, fan Q&As, and in-depth analysis, allhornets.com covers it all, and nobody does it better. All right. We made everyone earn this one here. So, Eric, I heard everything you said there. My last note was really kind of what you were touching on. It was the fact that, you know, I view the core, the certain core moving forward as Mark LaMelo, Brandon Miller, and then I think, you know, you can probably put Nick Smith Jr. into that at some point. But for now, those are the three guys that, you know, LaMelo and Brandon Miller are pretty much untouchable at the deadline, and Mark Williams, I don't think you're there's any sort of trade out there that would appease both sides. So he's kind of untouchable. Uh, by default there. And, and it's like you said, you know, Mark's not getting to develop, you know, his body, his game, but those three together aren't getting to play and, and grow. And, you know, I don't know who else uh, for certain is a part of the long-term um, view of this team, whether Miles Bridges is, PJ Washington, you know, who knows what guys are, are in the long-term vision for this organization, but, all of those guys aren't getting to play together and gel together. Um, and, and, and really, you know, we, we, one, as a fan base, we don't get to see what we're getting with that, but you know, those guys are really going to develop as individuals and as a group by playing together and they're just not getting to do it. Uh, and I, you know, on top of that, Steve Clifford 
isn't really getting to experiment with different lineups just because those guys and the the whole team in general is banged up. You know, he's having to experience experiment experiments. Excuse me, I don't know why that word is so hard to say right now. He's having to experiment with different lineups because different people are available every night. You know, he doesn't get to see, hey, you know, let's try putting this guy in the second unit. Let's try putting this guy in the starting lineup. You know, let's 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 put in the to start the second quarter. Let's start this unit uh, for the second quarter here. You know, you're not getting to mix and match those guys and seeing different ways to attack. So that, you know, that hurts in the short term, but also really, again, the long term issue that I'm seeing here is that these guys that are going to be a part of your core moving forward, these young assets who have such a bright future ahead, you know, they're not getting developed to develop together. So every game where they're mm-hmm. not on the floor together is really just a huge missed opportunity in my eyes. And, and you know, I, I think you were kind of viewing it the same way. It, it, it really sucks that we're, you know, as a fan base, we're getting deprived of that, but most importantly that, these guys as teammates aren't getting to, to share the floor together. Yeah, what was it? After Miles' suspension, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but it couldn't have been more than a handful of games. And, and you know, the Hornets' record at the time wasn't great, but obviously that early still in the mix, I think they're around like four and seven. So, obviously, plenty of things can happen at that point. Then LaMelo goes down, and it just sucks because I feel like a lineup with LaMelo – Terry, Brandon, if Hayward's healthy, if you have PJ, if you have Mark, if you have Nick Richards, if you have Nick Smith, if you and then McGowan's is like you're nine or ten, and you have Pete, like it just sucks because we haven't seen it. So hopefully at some point in the second half of the season, we can see it. Even if we're not playing meaningful basketball at all, even if we are eliminated from the playoffs totally. If I can just see the team play. And I didn't even mention Cody Martin right there. So if I can just see the core, the entire team of what the team is supposed to be, play five games together, not even a lot, just five games, I would be so tuned in to see that team, to see what they look like. Because we got a quarter of it against the Magic, and the is out for two months. And, and that didn't even include Cody Martin. So – I would just love to see this team have its top eight, nine, ten guys. Cause I think those eight, nine, ten guys, if they were just had normal injuries like a normal NBA franchise, I think that's a team that could actually potentially get into the playoffs, whether it's a top six seed or play in. But with injuries like this, man, it's just not gonna happen. So I'm just hoping for a five game stretch in the second half of the season where I can see the entire team play. That's all I want. Yeah, I mean, big picture, the the injuries, it, it's really frustrating because what does is, what is a guy like Bryce McGowan's look like when you're not asking him to be such a key contributor, when you're asking him to play the role that, you know, going into this season at this stage of his career, he's actually designed to play uh, on this team. What do those guys look like when they're not being asked to contribute in, in a manner that they're maybe not ready to contribute at, um, you know, on a night in and night out basis. So obviously big picture that is, that is really frustrating because, you know, guys are, are starting to put bad tape out there and, and are being inconsistent, but it's like, they're also being asked to do more than you would have liked to ask them to do at this point in their career. But uh, again, my, my focus, that's obviously kind of, What's frustrating about this season, my, my, my biggest focus is, is just what I was hitting on earlier is that, you know, your main core, the guys that you want to build around, don't get to play together. And it's just such a disservice to them. And, and you see it year in and year out with these Hornets. And it's just, it, it just is like, when, when is, when will it end? 
you know, it's, it's, it makes you want to bang your head against the wall, man. It's brutal. Well, and as far as seeing them all play together too, I mean, I think back to Brandon Miller in that early stretch and that was before Miles Bridges was playing. Like, no, he wasn't scoring 30 points a game, but like what he was contributing, like was really important to helping them win the games that they did or like helping them come back, hitting big shots down or like, you know, with two minutes left in the game, a step back three or something like that. With this team hobbled like it is, we don't get moments like that because, like, you know, Wednesday night, all the starters are out with eight minutes left in the game because the game's over. So we don't even get to see a Brandon Miller with two minutes left with an opportunity to knock down a big three or a big shot. So hopefully we get to see it, man. I'll be fingers crossed on it. I I hope it happens. It's funny, earlier you touched on the fact that it's not really Brandon Miller's game, at least right now, to like take over a game and just start scoring at will. Like I've been fiending for that, you know, as as someone who watches the Hornets, you know, pretty much every game. You know, I, I've been dying to watch a game where he just takes over. And it's like that's not really his game now. But also if he has Lamelo, if he has all these other guys out there who the defense has to actually focus on, he can get hot. And then maybe, you know, you just feed the hot hand and he takes over for a stretch in the game. We had seen that a, a, a little bit, maybe not a whole game, but he's taken over stretches of games offensively at times uh, and really impacted it on defense as well as he just gets into a rhythm as a whole. But, you know, without LaMelo, without, you know, uh, uh, a big down low in Mark Williams, that really commands a lot more attention and respect from the defense. It's much harder for him to get these looks and, and the defense can take a lot of things away from him. Um, just by virtue of not having many more threats out there. So it's it, it's outside of development, it, it, you know, you're you're not getting to see guys like Brandon Miller flash their full potential because again, even even a guy like Brandon Miller is being asked to do more than ideally he would be asked to do in his rookie year just because he doesn't have a guy like LaMelo Ball demanding so much attention from the defense and spreading the ball around and a guy like Mark Williams, you know, down low dominating you know, certain games. So he doesn't have his starting one, his starting five. If you want to throw Gordon Hayward in there, his starting three. So by default, Brandon Miller, rookie year, you're the second best player on the team behind Terry. Or if you want to say third with Miles, obviously I get that. But it's like, hey, you're you're a top three guy on the team. Like, you know, it's just not it's not a good situation to be in for a rookie. I don't care who the rookie is. I mean, look at Women Yaman with the Spurs. He's had awesome nights, but they're not winning a whole lot of games either. Right. Absolutely. Well, you and I, both op- optimistic guys, let's end it on a positive. And in, in true nature, you know, in the true spirit of this podcast, this is something that could truly be looked at as a negative or a positive, depending on how you want to look at it. I'm choosing to spin it as a positive and say it's a glass half full. So in the true spirit of this, we're going to look at this as a positive here. With the struggles of the Hornets on the court, um, whether it be this year, last year, kind of the regression that we've seen after uh, a promising first few years, really since you know the Mellow Ball entered the league. You know, obviously with new ownership coming in uh, and the results that we've seen this year, it's all but guaranteed at this point. It seems that there will be a new head coach and a new general manager next season. You know, there's been whispers about Mitch Kupchak maybe taking a different role in the organization, but I wouldn't see him coming back as a general manager. I wouldn't see Steve Clifford coming back, obviously, in any capacity next season. Um, So as much as it can be a negative that you're having to fire your head coach and your general manager, 
That's also, uh, it could be a breath of fresh air, uh, you know, the dawn of opportunity and hope moving forward. We're seeing this in the city. You know, many people listening are also Carolina Panthers fans. Uh, maybe there's less reason for optimism there because the, the owner. But we've got new ownership uh, with the Charlotte Hornets. And next season, I believe we'll have a new head coach and a new general manager. So with that being said, you have a lot of newness. You have new ideas. Um, you have a new vision, new voices, and obviously that's not guaranteed to yield any positive results, but newness can also, you know, breathe a breath of hope. So, you know, that's something that they're going to be pitching a lot this off season. And that's something that we can look forward to at least to a degree there. No, I agree. I mean, that's a big thing. This is kind of always, I don't want to say it's always been a throwaway season because again, injuries have contributed to much of that, but it was always – it was like when Tepper bought the Panthers. Like, it was kind of almost a given Rivera was there for a year, barring crazy success, um, which I hate for Clifford because I really like Clifford, and I don't think he's ever really had a, a team with real talent to have a real chance. Um, he does have some deficiencies. I won't say he doesn't. Uh, but, you know, that's just a guy I root for. But ultimately, it, it just seems like it's time – you know, for the owners to put their own stamp on the organization, new GM, new coach, and to bring new hopium to Charlotte. And Charlotte badly needs it, whether you're looking at the NFL or the NBA. So I agree, man. I, I think this summer will be an exciting time, and we'll really start to see what sort of direction these new owners want to take. And, you know, there's decisions to be made with Hayward, Miles, and Terry. If you're talking about trading Terry in the offseason, that's three of your top four to five players. So, I mean, this offseason could be really pivotal for the Hornets, and I am very intrigued to see how new a new owner, a new GM, and, and a new coach kind of take the reins and and see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be the first opportunity that new ownership truly has to prove themselves and make an impression on the city and the fan base and the league as a whole. You know, obviously, I mean, they may or may not do something at the deadline. I don't expect them to do much, especially in the season we're having and, you know, kind of for some of the reasons we outlined earlier in the episode. So this offseason will be the first real impression that ownership gives. And I'm really curious to see what type of impression they're going to try to leave, how aggressive they're going to be, what their philosophy is, what their style, what their approach looks like. I don't really know. Um, I, there's really just not a, a track record that we can point to and, and, you know, give an educated guess based off of. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very curious, very hopeful, cautiously optimistic about this. You touched on Clifford. Uh, you know, I, I do want to kind of add on that real quick too. I, I do feel bad for Steve Clifford. I think he's a good coach. I think he's done a really good job, you know, whether it's his first stop in Charlotte and even last year to a degree, also his time in Orlando of, really doing more with less. And, and even this year, I think you can, you know, you look at the record and it's like, how can you give Steve, give Steve Clifford credit? The past two seasons, he's found a way to keep the team together. Um, you know, you're not seeing chaos and dysfunction. Guys are still, you know, we see a lack of effort from certain individuals and even, you know, against Sacramento, there didn't seem to be a ton of effort from the collective outside of a, a guy here or there. But for the most part, he still has the guys bought in. I mean, again, for a half, for three quarters, they're playing hard and sticking with it or, you know, and staying in the game, I should say. And then eventually they fizzle out just because, I mean, just from a lack of talent. And the other team they're playing yeah. every, on a nightly basis typically is just better. 
But the fact that he's keeping guys bought in is is really impressive. You said it. He definitely has his deficiencies. There are rotational things he does that drive me crazy. And, I mean, that's a little bit of an excuse to blame rotations. You know, when the Hornets are as depleted by injuries as they are, it's kind of nitpicking to bring up rotations. But but it is a thing. Sometimes his rotations are questionable. The thing where he won't play Mark Williams for an entire fourth quarter at times in big games makes me scratch my head, and I certainly disagree with it. And I think that's a blemish uh, for sure. But – Ultimately, I, you know, he really, you listen to him talk, you can tell he really knows basketball. Whether his next gig is as a head coach or I mean, maybe he just retires or does, is an analyst or something. You know, I know he was some sort of advisor with Brooklyn before the Hornets hired him. He, yeah, I think he's really great for a role like that because he clearly knows basketball and, you know, maybe some of his deficiencies, you know, limit his ceiling as a head coach and, and, and for his teams, but he clearly knows basketball and, and he's a good voice to have in a room. So, I think I would not be shocked if he at least ends up taking like a similar analyst role for an organization similarly to what he had in Brooklyn, especially because, again, you listen to him and he knows basketball. And, you know, the, the, the guys that he's coached, I mean, we know he's coached some of the greatest players to ever play this game, Kobe Bryant being the best one. Um, you know, he's just been around um, guys, you know, whether it's players or coaches with just such a great pedigree that, you know, his knowledge is just so rich that you know he's, he's a valuable piece of organization but yeah. you know, i don't foresee him being a head coach again uh, and definitely yeah not. And, and it sucks because i like steve but it just seems like that's just kind of where we are and but yeah he's a lifer man i i think if i'm not mistaken he doesn't he never uh started a family i don't believe so yeah i imagine he will be in some sort of analyst role somewhere because he loves basketball man he loves it um but yeah man shout out cliff it's it hasn't always been easy, but uh, it's been a fun ride along the way, and it's not over yet. So we'll see what you guys do uh, with the rest of the season. Hopefully we get some uh, some good, fun moments from it. Absolutely. Well, Eric, I think that's going to do it for today, man. By the next time we're recording, we should have seen LaMelo Ball on the court, so we'll have a lot more to talk about. Hopefully some wins uh, Friday night against the Spurs. Obviously you'll, you'll know the result by the time you're listening to this, but that's certainly – a very winnable game, even if Lamelo is a late scratch, even if he pushes it to I think Sunday's the next game. I should know, but off the top of my head, I believe it's Sunday. You know, that's that's a winnable game regardless. Um, so hopefully, you know, there's some positive momentum uh, and some fun things to talk about, and we have a lot more uh, a lot more half fulls to touch on in the next episode. <laughs> no doubt, man. I'll I'll be praying for some half fulls because we could use them. The city of Charlotte could definitely use them. There's no doubt. That's right. All right, Eric, this has been fun, and uh, until next time. Sounds good, man. See you next week.